Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I thought that was a trumpet. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. This is the wedding of the century, though. I'm sure there's trumpets around here somewhere. Yes, Elizabeth, are there? I mean, we've got three priests on the altar, two deacons, four altar servers, a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, this is, I am, uh, this is exciting. This is really wonderful to be here. Okay, friends, uh, this has been a long time coming. This day has been a long time coming. I think you guys get the award for being the couple that, I, that have known each other the long, I mean, I think you've been planning your wedding, Elizabeth, since third grade. Is this correct? The binder that we've been, right? The binder's been since third grade. Okay, and something tells me that, was that the right gospel? I knew we messed up. Okay, that's on me. Okay, listen, there's, there's uh, you know, I'll, I'll go to confession later. Okay, <laughs> friends, this has been a, uh, it's been a delight. My name is Father Patrick Schultz. For those of you who don't know me, I was the priest that uh, had the honor and privilege of walking with these two for these past couple months for marriage prep. And it has been so fun, and I'm just so honored to be with you guys today. So, we love weddings, do we not? We love weddings, we love love, we love love stories, we love seeing all the parts of weddings, we love seeing grooms cry as their brides walk down the aisle. I didn't have a good visual on Calvin, but I'm pretty sure, uh, was he crying, yes or no? Yes, he was. Beautiful. We love it all, right? We love it all. We love seeing the husbands-to-be meeting their wives at the foot of the altar. We love all the festivities, all the traditions, the reception, the cutting of the cake, the first dances, the father-daughter dance, the mother-son dance, right? All these wonderful traditions. And my favorite wedding tradition explaining to bewildered non-Catholic guests that, yes, priests can drink. Um, That's probably my favorite wedding tradition. So... We're drawn to all of this. We're attracted to all of this. We love all of this, not simply because it's a break from the monotony of our normal everyday lives, but it's it's not simply because we love a good party on a Saturday, right? Although we do love to party, and we will party later. We're drawn to all of this, and we're we're attracted to all of this because we're made for this. We're made for endless love. We're made for the endless marriage feast that is heaven, Right? You have a heart that longs for eternity. You have a heart that longs for heaven. You see, marriage and weddings, they aren't simply our invention. They're not our idea. It was God's. It was God's idea. And he has implanted in each one of our hearts this inextinguishable yearning for himself, for heaven. Right? It's like a homing beacon in our hearts. When you look at Scripture... The imagery used primarily throughout Scripture, yeah, there's a lot of images to describe heaven, but the image over and above every other one that describes what heaven is like, it's a marriage feast, a wedding feast. So this is a foretaste. This is a foretaste of the kingdom yet to come. So this whole reality, this thing called marriage, this human love, all of this, romance, spousal intimacy, all of it, husbands and wives, all of that, Everything that we're celebrating today, everything that's happening today is what St. Paul calls, we heard it in that second reading, he calls it the great mystery. In Greek, it's the mysterion mega, which sounds kind of cooler than just great mystery, the mysterion mega. This is what Calvin and Elizabeth are entering into today. 
This is what they're being drawn into, taken up into, this musterion mega, the great mystery. Right? St. Paul, in his letters to the Ephesians, he quotes Genesis. He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis. Then he adds this. This is a great mystery. This reality, this cleaving together, this departing from family, laying down your life, joining together in the one flesh union of husband and wife, this, he says, is a great mystery. But points to Christ and the church. What's happening here today, what they are laying their lives down for, what this is, is pointing to Jesus. It reveals who Jesus is and who the church is. The deep mysteries of the faith, what Christianity is all about We catch a glimpse of it by watching what's happening today as they lay their lives down. So what I want to talk about, what I want to talk about today for this homily is this deeper story, like the story that we're all created for, this great mystery that we hear about in Ephesians 5. And I want us to, I want to help us see the plan of God that he's, that he has for each of us, not just simply about them. This day's not just simply about them. This is a day that like the Lord is doing something for all of us. Yeah, all eyes are on them, but this is so much bigger than them. They know it. They'll be the first to tell you. This day is about what Jesus is doing. This is a story that for maybe many of us you've never heard before, that this is the lens through which we are meant to understand this faith, which is exquisite. Their love, their marriage, what's happening here on this altar is but an icon, a window into the very heart of the mystery of God. And it's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Because the shocking almost too good to be true news of the gospel is this, that at the heart of the gospel is not a list of rules that we can follow to be good boys and girls to go to heaven. No, at the heart of the gospel, like the proposal at the heart of the gospel is that there's a proposal at the heart of the gospel. Like God has eyes for you. Like the God who hung the stars in the sky, the God who made the rings of Saturn has eyes for you. And he wants to spend eternity with you. That God wants a relationship with you. That the least inadequate image, this side of heaven, is marriage. It's like he's stammering out. I, I, want, I want to be so implicated in everything that is your life. I want to be so close to you that it's like spouses. I want to be so close. Right? Because Christianity, friends, like while we have, of course, plenty of rules and there's plenty of rigor and ritual and all of that, At the end of the day, it's not about those things. It's about the intimacy of relationship that Jesus draws us into. It's about a person who wants relationship with you. In the end, this story, it's the drama. It's high romance. And it's on every single page of the scriptures. It's what the Bible is telling. That's the story that the Bible is unfolding. The Bible begins with a marriage, a wedding of a couple in an earthly paradise. The Bible ends with a wedding in a heavenly paradise. The two bookends of the Bible, beginning and end, are marital. Marriage frames the entire story. And smack dab in the center of the Bible is a book called the Song of Songs, which Pope Benedict, right? Pope Benedict XVI, he said the Song of Songs, which is a book about, it's love poetry essentially. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God's name. Pope Benedict says the Song of Songs expresses the essence of biblical faith. There's also, by the way, if there's any single guys here, there's some great Catholic pickup lines in the Song of Songs. For example, things like, uh, your teeth are like uh, shorn ewes coming up out of the river, all bearing twins. In other words, 
You got all your teeth, baby. That's nice. <laughs> or here's another one. Your neck is like the Tower of David and your nose are like the battlements of the palace. I think every girl probably wants to hear that, right? Your belly is like a bushel of wheat. All right, so I might explain why I'm a celibate. Moving on. The first human words in Scripture, the first human words in Scripture, Adam waking up, seeing his newly fashioned bride, this one at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. The last human words in Scripture is the church, the bride crying out, come Lord Jesus. It's the longing for the consummation of the union. That's the story. I want to look at this beginning a little bit closer, this beginning that we heard in, about, what we hear about in Genesis. Genesis tells the story of creation, right? God's creating everything out of nothing. At the culmination of creation, he makes the human person, right? He makes Adam first and plants him in the garden, till and keep the garden, Adam. And it's Adam who, it's, it's God who notices, not Adam, it's God who notices it's not good for the man to be alone. I think all of us who know and love Calvin would agree it is not good for the man to be alone. Remember what I'm saying, right? Okay. It says, I'll make a helper fit for him. Let's be careful here. This doesn't mean like the bride shows up as like, make me a sandwich, do my laundry. That's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew is ezer genegdo. You translate that, it means divine assistance right in front of you. Like Eve shows up as the one who saves Adam from the abyss of solitude. She gives him the ability to be human. Right? So God, when he makes an image of himself in creation... He doesn't make just a man. He doesn't make just a woman. He makes a couple, male and female. He created them from the beginning, right? A couple whose bodies and souls are complementary and ordered towards each other in such a way that when the two become one, they become so much one that nine months later, you have to give it a name, right? And then you're three in one, just like our God is three in one. How we start every mass, every prayer. So marriage, friends, right, marriage, the call of the two to become one flesh, it reveals who God is, life-giving love. That's what he's saying, I'm life-giving love. But it also, it goes deeper because it reveals the kind of union that God wants to have with us. Like I said, their marriage is a window into the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with you. Like, have you ever thought, have you ever asked yourself, like, how close do you think God wants to be to you? Like just buddies, like fist bump Jesus, like that's, like hang out on the weekend Jesus. He wants everything. He wants all the way. He wants everything, which is why marriage is the image. All throughout the Old Testament, you read the prophets, God is described, he owns the identity, I am the bridegroom of Israel. Israel, you are my betrothed, you're my beloved when God enters into covenant with Israel, he's entering into a marital relationship with Israel. And Israel, on their part, is this idolatrous, adulterous, vacillating bride who always runs away. But God, in his goodness, continues to pursue and pursue and pursue. Like, I want you back, is what he's saying. All of that imagery, all of that marital imagery that you have God up here in Israel down here, all of that marital imagery, it just remained essentially on an allegorical level until an angel bends the knee before a young girl in Nazareth and she opens herself, the bride, Mary, the bride, opens herself so fully, she says yes so completely that she literally conceives divine life in her womb and the word is made flesh 
the two become one. In her womb, the church fathers said, it's the mystical bridal chamber where heaven is wed to earth. Right? We say in the creed every Sunday, Jesus is true God and true man. In his very person, he marries these realities together. Jesus' very first miracle, he comes into a town called Cana to a wedding feast. I wonder if that's a coincidence. He comes to a wedding feast because there's a problem. The couples run out of wine. He transforms 180 gallons of water into 180 gallons of the most exquisite wine, which again is why it baffles me when people say, can priests drink? Like, you have not read the Bible, apparently. (laughs) In ancient Israel, it, it was the bridegroom's job to provide the wine for the feast. That was his job. Make sure there was enough wine for the party. At this feast, Jesus is the bridegroom who provides the wine. Over and over and over again, you have Jesus acting in the person of the bridegroom. That was his first miracle, and it culminates at the end of his life, at the Last Supper, where he takes bread, he takes wine, and says, this is my body given for you. And in the vows that he speaks with his words at the Last Supper, he literally enacts on the cross the next day. He lays his life down. He pours everything out. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. And I give it all away, giving it forever in a life-giving way. This is exactly why, like, built into the heart of every person who's ever fallen in love, there comes this moment where you say, I have, I want, I must give everything to you. Which is why you've come here, to stand in front of an altar with Jesus in the background, to enter into what he did on that Friday we call Good Friday. You're going to lay your lives down in a few moments. You'll, be, you'll become living Eucharist for each other. Like those words, this is my body given for you. This is everything I have given for you. Like you give Jesus today the water of your lives and he transforms it into something so much more. This is the great mystery. This is the great mystery at the heart of our faith. Calvin, Jesus gave you your marching orders in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Not in domineering, not in power, but in total self-giving love. That I'd be more willing to suffer an agonizing, gruesome death than have your, your dignity be violated in any way. And that is the reason why St. Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Be under the mission. That's what the word submission means, submissio. Put yourselves under the mission of your husband. Let yourself be loved like that, Elizabeth. Let yourself be loved like that. Friends, we love today. We love weddings, not just because it's beautiful and it's a fun party. We love it because it taps into the very heart of the faith and taps into the very heart of what we're made for, which is endless love. We catch a glimpse of it today. And so you too, if you are prepared, if you are ready to lay your lives down, to be what you've been no more, but to lay it down to be something new, I invite you forward now.